and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the book of Colossians. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's 11.06 in the morning, and for some reason, I'm thinking about sugar and like ice cream. What do you mean? I don't know. I'm just like, man, a milkshake would be great right now, or like a cookie. You should go get one. No. Why? You can't just give into the flesh like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Is it, well, you're not on a sugar fast or anything anymore, so why no, not? No, that's true. Just but enjoy it. I don't want to get myself into the habit of just going and getting ice cream or going and eating sugary foods. That'll just spiral me. You need a little more self-discipline? Yeah. Actually, that is something I'm trying to work on. I'm trying to be more really? disciplined. Why? Yeah. Because I think I just struggle with wanting to be comforted with by food things. specifically or just in general in life? In general, like by food, staying up late, oversleeping. Like You know what you should be more that. self-disciplined in? What? Buying new shoes. Guys, she literally walks in here every week with a new pair of shoes, and multiple people notice it. You're just meaning jealous. me and Nate, who both said <laughs> yeah, it this exactly. morning. Exactly, you're just jealous of a new yeah, trip. Yeah, I yeah, I just it's crazy. I just don't know how you make so much money that you can just buy nice no. new pairs of shoes. No, 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 every week. No, no, no. You know my salary, guys. This is not true. For Christmas, I got a new pair of tennis shoes, which I was pumped about, and then I bought two new pairs of tennis shoes which were all on sale. I got a $180 pair of shoes for 60 bucks. Wow. Worth it. Amazing. And you know when the last time was that I bought tennis shoes? Two weeks ago? No. (laughs) You just said you bought two different pairs. It was on the same day. Oh, well, that's better. But (laughs) (laughs) I bought my last pair of tennis shoes when I was a freshman in college. I'm 26. I graduated in when I was 22. So I got them... When I was 19. Why did you graduating? (laughs) How was that a part of it? I was honestly trying to do mental math to figure out when I was a freshman in Well, that's great. Well, they're nice new, what, Adidas? Yep. I like them a lot. You always get, oh my word, you're putting me on blast. You always. Look at my shoes. They're all dirty. Yeah, but you literally got, no, they're not actually. They're not the bad at all. Coffee stains on them. You guys, Andrew started this desire in me to get new shoes because he got four new pairs of shoes back to back to back. What are you talking? You're literally lying right now. You have those ones. You yep, have a like white pair. A a you have ago. a black. That is not true. They were on sale. They were a hundred dollar pairs of shoes I got for like ten dollars. Shut up! You did not. Those are. That's Nikes. what everyone says. Yeah, but they're like the low end Nikes. Whatever. Those are for I'm sure. I'm sure I got them at like bucks. the clearance rack at Payless. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he got those Nikes. You have your white Adidas. You have your black Adidas. And then you had those new shoes that were like combat looking boots that you wore on stage on Sunday. So don't be saying that I'm splurging when you're rolling over there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. How often do you buy clothes? Never. Or shoes? Oh, sorry. How often does Bailey buy clothes or shoes for you? (laughs) Uh, Pretty infrequently. Really? Yeah. I don't just buy a bunch of shoes. I don't know. You I inspired me. I inspired you. 
Oh I'm done with this conversation. Oh, same. You're just gonna make me all self conscious. Walk know. in and be like, I do like the shoes. They're nice. Hey, thanks. You're welcome. I'm not shaming <laughs> you for them. That's Even true. It, sound like it. it does. Are you excited for today's podcast episode? It's all about Colossians, which is what you're going through in the Knowing God podcast. I have been very slowly studying it for a year. Was it in March that we oh my started? Goodness, or you're April? Right. Well, I thought it was in March. Right around, it was. yeah, right yeah. around a year. I've mostly been in Colossians. And you've done what, 160 episodes by this point? I think it's like 140, but a okay. couple of those were Advent. So probably like 120 That's on incredible. Colossians. So you're the resident expert on Colossians. Nope. But mm. I have read it a lot and thought about it. As you've studied Colossians, what do you feel like has personally been the best way? to understand the outline or the framework of the book? I'm trying to think of the most simplified way to say this. I think that probably the easiest way to see the book, you can roughly go by chapter. It doesn't totally do that. And your headings in your Bible will probably show that. But roughly the first chapter is talking about the supremacy of Jesus and the gospel. So right away, he talks about how the gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world which again, he's counteracting this like extra knowledge. And he's saying, no, it's the gospel. That is what planted you. It's the gospel. That's what's growing you. It's the gospel that's bearing fruit. And what is the gospel? Verses 15 on is talking about who Jesus is and what he has done for us and why that then has shaped Paul's ministry, where he says, my whole goal is to help you grow mature in Christ. That's all I'm trying to do. And that's kind of chapter one is looking at how good and supreme and sufficient Jesus is. Chapter two, again, roughly, is then counteracting some of the false teachings that's probably going on in the church. So the certain days that they observe, angels, certain practices, all that stuff. He said, if Christ is sufficient, these things aren't the things that are going to help you grow. It's only going to be in Christ and what he's done for you. Chapter three then starts to talk about what does that life actually look like? So if those are the things you shouldn't do in chapter two, what does life look like? You look like this renewed being that is in Christ and that has power through Christ to live, to speak, and to relate to people in different ways. And that's most of chapter three is life in Christ. And then chapter four is kind of a conclusion. It's like kind of some, this final section on asking the church to pray for him and his ministry. And then it's a long list of his community, his people that uh, he's in partnership with, or kind of the final conclusion to saying, Hey, we're praying for you. And, you know, we love you as a church. Yeah, I think that's a good outline. And it shows how much you've studied it because I had a whole note sheet of different types of outlines. Andrew took glanced at all of them and then came up with this one on the fly. That's well, amazing. It has been a long year of studying Colossians. But it's been good. If you guys haven't, head over to the Knowing God podcast and listen to it because it is really helpful taking it in bite-sized chunks every single day. Well, okay, so can you distill some of that? So I just gave kind of chapter by chapter. That's the outline. Mm-hmm. But what's the main point? What is his purpose in writing this letter, if you can kind of condense all that down. Yeah. I think what Paul's trying to say is that Christ is all we need and that we are complete in him. You had mentioned the supremacy of Christ. And I feel like this entire book I was reading, it was talking about how it has such a high 
Christology or understanding of... What's Christology? I think it's understanding of who Christ is, what he came to do, and his fullness as being God and human. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the word Christology is just the study of Christ. So it's that. It's like, what do you believe about Christ? Yeah. And it's just interesting how much Paul does flesh out who Christ is in this and the fact that we are complete in him. But again, that then still makes me wonder, okay, well then why does he say we don't need anyone else to teach us? Yeah. So if that's kind of high level kind of theology or aim, help people a little bit, if we can kind of get into the book some more, maybe is there anything contextually or like as you come to Colossians that's unique about this rather than other books? Then maybe Mm -hmm. we can just talk through some of those questions that you're bringing up that he addresses. Yeah. Just a little background and context on Colossians. Paul wrote this while he was in prison and he never established the church of Colossae, but we just read that he heard of it through Epaphras, a coworker from Paul. And so that's a little bit different than some of the other books we've looked at because most of them, Paul was the one who actually established the church on his missionary journey, right? Unless there's another one that I'm missing. Yeah, I think a lot of them are. Yeah. And the main issue in the Colossian church was that Jewish believers were imposing their own ceremonialism type views. Other people were saying, oh, you also have to worship angels. Some people were saying you need to hinder or hurt the body in order to avoid certain lusts and just different things like that. that They were trying to mesh or meld into Christianity in order to be justified. Yeah, I think a lot of scholars or people who write on Colossians believe that there is a worldview called Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of components about that, which is addressed in Colossians, which is why people think that's a little bit why Paul is saying some of the things he's saying. But one of the main points that I think is helpful is that Gnosticism believes that there's like a secret knowledge, basically, that you can have uh, or that you kind of ascend to. And so you become more enlightened and you get the secret knowledge. And so part of the problem is amongst many different things within Gnosticism, is that they would say, well, yes, Christ is good and he's needed, but there's also this like secret knowledge about how to really grow in him. So there were these teachers and philosophers and people that were saying, it seems like there's other ways to also grow. And if you come to us, you can either have that knowledge or we'll teach you that knowledge. And I think that's why Paul is so clearly saying we have Christ we have knowledge in Christ, like Christ in us is what matters, and that is what's important. And it's why he's refuting some of these claims of, he talks about philosophers and other teachers and the things that they're teaching, like special days and angels and all these different things, I think is a part of that kind of secret knowledge. And Paul's saying, hey, we don't need that stuff because we have Christ. Right. And I think it's interesting looking at Colossians because I'm getting similar notes from Galatians, right? Like what we said in Galatians, Paul was upset because there were Jewish leaders saying, hey, you have to be circumcised. While circumcision isn't the main focus in this one, it's like multiple things melded together. It's still people adding to the gospel. Yes. And I think while in Galatians, It is primarily about salvation. Like, how are you right with God? Is it just faith in Jesus or is it faith in Jesus 
plus something like circumcision and adding a work to it. It does seem like in Colossians, there's a little bit about salvation and there's a little bit about what we might call like sanctification or growth that they're adding into. So some of this is like, it seems like these teachers are saying, yes, you're saved in Jesus. And now if you want to really grow or really be all in with Jesus or follow him even more, do a lot of these things, and that's going to make you either more right with Jesus, which is kind of a salvation thing, or if you do these things, these are the actual ways of becoming more enlightened or have more knowledge or whatever the thing might be. And same thing with Galatians, Paul saying, nope, like it is all about Christ. Like that's the sum total of our faith is being in Christ and what that means for us. And the growth that we have merely comes from growing in who we are in Christ. Yeah, I think that's a helpful distinction because then it does show you the difference in Paul's focus in Galatians and his focus in Colossians and that they could be using these more for sanctification. But that gets to my question. We in the church stress that people need to be doing spiritual disciplines. And so that to me seems similar to what they were doing of, hey, you have to be circumcised. Hey, you have to worship angels. Hey, you have to do this. I mean, yes, it's kind of different, but it It does seem fairly similar. So why do we do that? Why do we? Why do we tell people that spiritual disciplines are important for their growth or their relationship with God? It's interesting that you flipped it on me since you have a Knowing God podcast over this, but I didn't listen to it, so I don't know the answer. Why do I personally think we need spiritual disciplines? If I'm not thinking about all of my thoughts that I have with Colossians, I would say that spiritual disciplines are a helpful trellis or a helpful aid in allowing us to set ourselves up well in order to put away the things of the world and focus on Christ. So you're saying the spiritual disciplines have their power or strength in that they help you focus on Christ. Yes. So what if we, what are some spiritual disciplines? Praying, fasting, reading God's word, memorizing scripture. So what would be an example of doing them, but not focusing on Christ? Like how would you read or fast or pray and not focus on Christ in that? You could read your Bible check it off your list and maybe even apply it to, okay, how do I, I make myself better, but you're not really thinking about God in it. Or you could fast for the reason of wanting to look better or look slimmer, not actually to pray and focus on Christ. I think what Paul is refuting or what the false teachers are teaching in Colossae seems to be that it feels like they're saying, Hey, Christ is good. You know, he saved you. That's great. But to really have true spiritual knowledge, you need to go and observe these days. And that is going to give you this knowledge. Or these philosophers were coming in with these arguments about a certain way of viewing the world or a certain, again, the secret knowledge that you can have. And if you come to them and if you listen to what they say, then you're going to have this spiritual mm-hmm. awakening or knowledge. What we say with spiritual disciplines is that they are the means to the end of you having a deeper relationship with Christ. So they are not the thing 
that makes you more spiritual. They are the thing that connects you to the one mm. who helps you grow. And so I think that's the distinction I would want to make. Like reading our Bible is good only if it's leading us to know God more and have a deeper understanding of who he is and your relationship with him and living in light of that. Fasting is good only if it's helping you abide in Christ in a greater way and long for him in a greater way. And I think that's what Paul's actually saying because his argument isn't so much to never do these things. He's saying in and of themselves, these philosophers and these this asceticism and these practices, if that's what you're looking to make you grow, that's not going to work. But he in other places talks about the church gathering together, the church reading scripture, praying together. He does actually affirm most of the spiritual disciplines that we use today. And so I think if you put all his letters together, the best way to understand this is they were thinking that those things in and of themselves helped you. And he's saying, Christ is the one that helps you. And so whatever helps you get to Christ, that is what has the power or the beauty in these certain practices. Mm. It kind of reminds me of that verse in James where it says that faith without works is dead. And I don't know if this is the same line of thinking. You can tell me if it's different, but the idea that like faith should elicit some sort of outworking of that and you should see that. And so I think that also is... Eh, maybe I don't want to go there because I'm thinking it's like kind of one in the same, like in order to be able to work out our faith and do that well, spiritual disciplines provide us a, an avenue to do that, but it's not necessarily the, as you said, end all be all. Yeah. I think as long as you see it as the means and not the end, you can guard yourself from what the Colossians were being taught. So we don't want to just create people that have healthy rhythms in their life. We want to help form people with healthy rhythms so that people abide in Jesus and live out what he's taught us to do. Mm. So again, I think it's just a matter of what is the power? Is it your relationship with Christ and your union with him? Or is it a certain practice that you do? Because I would say, I think it's what Paul's saying and the Bible teaches is that the power in those things only come when they are the vehicle that gets you to Christ. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so then if we're saying Christ is all you need and we have everything in him, what do you think it looks like for a Christian to not live into that compared to what it actually means to live into Christ being all we need? Because for a Christian, you know, Romans 10 says, if you believe that he is Lord and you confess that God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. So you can make a profession of faith, but all Christians, we struggle with seeing Jesus truly as all we need and fully satisfying to us. So what are some ways to tell if I'm actually living like Christ is everything and my union with him is everything? And what does it look like to be struggling with that? The first thing that comes to mind is this reliance on other people to essentially do what Moses did and go up the mountain to meet with God himself and then bring that to the people. Well, we actually have Christ as our mediator. So if you are hanging on every single word your preacher is saying and your, quote, quiet time or time with the Lord just looks like you checking off boxes and then waiting till the next Sunday when you can get another word to kind of help you feel better, but you're relying on someone else to go to God. I think that right there is a good example of Christ is all we need and we don't need to rely on another person. 
That's why we don't need pastors or ministry leaders. Disagree. Why? Disagree. What is the role of leaders in ministry then? The role of leaders in ministry is truly to equip the saints to do ministry. I believe that at least. I don't know if that's a verse. Is that a verse somewhere? You just have that ingrained in me. Ephesians 4. Really? There we go. Oh yeah, you're right. Wait. 11 and 12. Man, that's amazing. You just got the Bible flowing out of you. It's kind of discouraging though, because I have all of these passages, but I don't know where to find any of them. But I guess that's why we have the internet, right? You can just look it up and say, this is it. That is why the internet was created. (laughs) Oh my word. But you're right. Maybe in God's providential design. Yeah, true. Just helping me. I love that. But like Andrew just mentioned, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, I'll read it quick. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And that's our role to encourage people, but ultimately to point them to Christ. We're serving more as a person that can point, understand, discern. I mean, that's why God's given us so many different gifts and abilities. The body is not supposed to function in isolation, but we're supposed to function together. But ultimately, it shouldn't be pointing at a person. It should be pointing at Christ. And I think that right there is the distinction between what the Colossians were being taught and what Paul is trying Mm -hmm. to correct them in, is that these teachers and leaders and spiritual practices, they are not the end in themselves. And if you are only looking to them for you to grow, or you only have leaders who are making you dependent on them, it's no good. Like that's Mm -hmm. not the purpose of leaders and spiritual practices. Any good city group leader, pastor, ministry leader, parent, youth group leader, whatever, anyone who is doing what they're supposed to be doing is simply pointing you to Christ and helping you learn how to read the Bible on your own, how to pray on your own, how to commune with God on your own. So for instance, when you come on a Sunday morning to your church gathering, you get there, the whole thing should be structured to essentially equip and fill you up so that you can then go for a week and commune with God and walk with him throughout that week. If you are solely dependent on your relationship with God on your Sunday gathering or on your city group, and that's the only time. Now, I think those are incredibly valuable if they are helping connect you to Christ, equip you, and send you back out. And that's why we need Christian community and leaders. And then the responsibility is on us to cultivate a relationship with Christ individually. And so I think if that's the structure, it's healthy and it's good. And we know that's the case because Paul, three of his letters in the Bible are written to pastors telling them to preach the word and to counsel and to care for the church and to equip them. So we know that Paul's not saying don't have any leaders. He gives us the structure of this, but he's saying those leaders' responsibility is to point you to Christ and to help people walk with Christ on their own and as a community, not be solely dependent that that leader has some secret knowledge that I have to go get. And if I don't get it from them, then I can't be a Christian or walk with Jesus. That's not the point. The point of any good leader is to point you to Christ. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because especially today, we have influencers, we have people all over social media that are claiming that they have all the answers, that they have everything that they can provide. And in us, I believe that we are looking for that person to provide everything. I think it's really easy for us to idolize people, to idolize practices even, rather than the creator himself of all of those things. 
Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.